going to be a, a win. Uh, I've also seen and been, a, I've been appreciative how Paul will write to some of the churches and say, let me remind you of these things. So, <laughs> so that's where we are, isn't it, that we need to be reminded? Um, I've heard things like, uh, uh, regarding the church here, of course, a soul saved. Isn't that awesome? It's such a refresher within us to be able to see the Word of God have an impact in a man's life. To make a change. I've heard that there's more involvement with other sister churches. Uh, I was so relieved when I found out that a lot of the women are in Omaha because I'd originally thought, well, they invited me to come when the attendance would be the smallest to be, to be able to speak. You guys are getting to know what goes on inside of my head, you know, as I go through these things. Um, I've also heard that there's just more involvement among you and that the fellowship is becoming richer. These are things that are so important to God. I want to talk to you today, and I almost do all of my intros with about the same thing. If you get and you really take it away from you, take it away with you today, and you put it into practice, what I have to say, it will revolutionize your life. Now, how do I know that? Because I'm such a great speaker? Not really, but it's because God's Word is powerful. When you read in the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts, what you see is that when the Word was spoken, people responded. Sometimes they responded in large numbers. Day of Pentecost, over 3,000 people responded in one day to the gospel message to turn their lives over to the Lordship and Saviorship of Jesus. You read the letters where Paul wrote to some of the churches, and he had to do some pretty firm corrections on some different things that were going on. There was disunity, there was pride, there was worldliness, there were all these things. But there is that hard line speaking of what God has to say, and you see people, like with Paul, you know, they actually viewed him kind of as an enemy. And he had to appeal to them based upon prior relationship. And when they heard the word, they responded and the church became healthier. So I say all of that to just simply say, I'm going to preach the word to you today. And if you take it to heart and you take it home with you and decide to do more than agree with it, your life will be better and this church will be better. I want to share with you just a, a few things, and I want you to dream as I say these things, okay? I want to share with you a few things that God is doing in the Lawrence Church. Um, we have as our theme, and I've shared this part with you before, but we have the idea we want to be a small church but a big family. We live in a college town where there's lots of people that become members of the congregation and they move away other places. We've just accepted that our church is not going to probably be 300 people. It's going to be a sending church that we equip people to go other places and to help strengthen those churches. In fact, the commission that's been, been given to those people, whether graduates or just members uh, taking jobs other places, is go and be a blessing to the church wherever you're at. Don't just go. Don't just show up. Don't just wait to see what happens, but go and make a difference. Uh, we had a brother two weeks ago. His first name is Wes. Uh, he came back from Minnesota. He'd been gone for, I think, roughly a year. And when he left, he was a young Christian. And he was one of those guys that had enthusiasm, but you didn't quite know a whole lot about him. And he was asked to do communion on Sunday morning. And I just sat there with a grin on my face thinking, wow, I can't believe this young man has grown and changed so much. And he went to a situation where employment was a little bit of a difficulty. And he, he eventually got the job and stopped sleeping out, or living out of his car pretty much. And he was able to, to uh, flourish. But he had begun to make an impact where he had gone, that he had taken that commission to be a blessing. And I, I just sat there and I thought, this is so amazing to see how much he's changed in one year. 
Part of what I want to impart to you is this idea of being changed people. And I'll go into the scriptures on that in a moment. Um, we also have as part of our theme, I've already said, being ascending church rather than keeping church. Uh, another theme that we have is to make disciples and mature disciples. 2023 is the year we're going to do both of those like we always have. But we have a little bit more of a focus on let's make sure we're maturing the disciples that we have to help them grow up in the Lord and become a great influence on other people. And those who leave can go and be a great blessing wherever they go. Fifteen years ago, we had about 45 members. And I tried to take account this morning. There's about 45 people in here, roughly. Uh, we met in an auditorium that seated about 300 people. So our singing could not be heard. <laughs> uh, we were dwarfed, but uh, the, the people who were leading the church at that time, the, the, I'll call it the, the opinion leaders at that time, had the vision of filling this room. And I just appreciated it so much that these 45 people were dreaming of becoming 300 people. But it was small at the time. Uh, one of the things that I noticed was, uh, even with the dream, within 15 minutes after the worship had been dismissed, the room was empty. People were friendly enough, but they weren't really connected enough. That's one of the key words I want you to try to keep in mind as I go through this lesson. Fifteen years later, we have over 100 members, and over 100 people have moved away to become a blessing in other places. Wow. Uh, the, there have been older Christians that have moved in. We moved back two years ago. Willie O'Quinn's parents moved back. Katie's parents moved in, Katie O'Quinn's parents moved in, and there's other people, and I feel personally like we're getting the band back together. I've got people about my age with the same experience, we're going to go play together. And it's, uh, it's just been so encouraging to be able to have these different levels of relationships in the church. Uh, there's a, a retired couple in their 70s that showed up about six weeks ago, and you know, we have mostly young people in our congregation, so it's very obvious that they were there as, as guests. And I went over to him afterwards and shook hands with him and just talked to him a little bit to try to connect. And he just right away kind of gave me the handshake with, you know, kind of distance, kind of pull in, kind of distance. And he goes, well, I just want you to know we're just church shopping. And I thought, how, how direct, how, how clean and clear. And I said, you know, that's great. I'm glad you're shopping here for a while. And they've come back, I think it's the last eight weeks in a row, because they like, to, they like what they see God doing in Lawrence. Now, as I go through all of these things, it's not a matter of, look at Lawrence and how awesome we are. My point is, look how awesome God is and what God can do with whatever he has in front of him. But I believe this is also a retired couple who led churches all over the country. And uh, they like this little tiny church with a big family of about 100 people and about 60 of them are college students. <clears throat> they just keep coming. The auditorium is now full, and people stick around. We have to ask them to leave so that we can clean the building on Sunday mornings. Members are in some kind of a discipling relationship uh, where we actually speak the truth into one another's lives. Greg Hutchison, or Hutch, after walking away from the Lord over 30 years ago, came back one year ago, and at this point he's already discipling three guys, and every time I get together with him, he's even started this uh, we have a lot of different names for it, Platinum Club, uh, White-Haired Guys Club, Retired Club. We meet on Tuesday mornings at, at 9.30 at the Dillon's Supermarket, and we have a, a good old-fashioned Bible talk. You know who leads it? Hutch does. 
You know, Hedge talks about every week, if we don't have guests there, he talks about the importance of evangelism. And we don't all sort of go like this when we hear, you know, we're supposed to reach out. We all sit there and go, we know we need to reach out. And, and, and we take that into us. But here's a guy who's been gone 30 years. He's been back one year, and he's re-embraced, re-embraced that commitment to make Jesus Lord of everything in his life. Um, <clears throat> So the point is, those that have been gone come back, and they come back stronger than even before. And Hutch is even discipling three other brothers. Uh, that's a pretty good, pretty good thing for a, a guy that's just been back for a year. We also uh, have, within my small group, uh, a couple that I would say at least he is a very introverted person. By nature, he'd just rather be left alone. And it kind of shows up in his appearance. You, you probably not here, but you've probably seen it someplace else that people they just don't look like they really want to be around you. Well, here's this guy who comes across that way, and on the inside he's got a good heart. He just needs to have people expect things of him. When nothing is expected, not much happens. When people hold him to the scriptures, and Hutch, Hutch is discipling him, gets out the Bible and shares things with him and asks questions, he inquires of what's happening in his life, the guy changes. And here's one of the cool things about it. We have what we call extended family. This is where the idea originally behind it was to uh, create unity in the church. But also with so many young people becoming Christians, we wanted them to be connected with older people so that when their parents showed up to find out what they'd gotten into, they would see that there was a whole lot more going on than just a bunch of college students that were super excited, but that there was some depth and some uh, stability uh, that they were being tied into. So once a month, we invite people into our homes as an extended family. Um, this particular guy I was talking about who's introverted, they don't feel comfortable having people in their home for whatever reason. But I, when I found out a few weeks ago, I, I just, it was like watching Wes, I just grinned inside. They invite someone out for lunch almost every Sunday to just be able to, here's an introvert, guy who doesn't do this by nature really wanting to do what he sees in the scriptures need to be done anyway. And I think they, if it's college students, I'm sure they pay for it. But anyway, <laughs> you know, God is doing amazing things. Um, I believe that the faith in the church has grown. I believe we still have our own struggles there. Uh, there are people that are probably middle-aged that are trying to find their identity, and some of them feel... Um, I guess the word would be kind of irrelevant or overlooked. And they're, they're trying to find their way, and we're trying to find ways to help them to be able to be focused in and feel like they're really part of things. But my point is that what God has done in 15 years is an amazing thing. Of I'd look around, and I'd go, where is everybody? First, five minutes before worship started, and then 15 minutes after worship was over with, where is everybody? God took a group of people that were devoted, that were refocused, on their commitment to each other and to him, and did something great. That can happen right here in Wichita, Kansas. Amen. The title of my message today is Relevant Relationships. Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Okay, you guys know this story. Day of Pentecost, people from every nation have come into the city to be able to celebrate a Jewish holiday. 
that is the day that God chose to be able to uh, do the initiation and beginning of his church. Peter stands up and he preaches about Jesus dying on the cross and raising from the dead. And he goes on and the people say, so what do we do about this? And he says, you need to repent. And before that, he says, uh, Jesus, let all nations know that Jesus is both Lord and Christ. Just a little side point. We live in a world today in America where people are really big about Jesus being the Christ. But being Lord is not such a big deal to a lot of people. When, G when Peter preached that that day, he didn't say, take your pick. He's both, but pick what you like better. He says, listen to me, guys. God made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said, what shall we do? He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And then after, it says that 3,000 responded that day. And in verse 42, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold the property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they uh, continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now today's message is not about evangelism. It's about our relationships with each other. Jesus said that all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. When he came back and he spoke to Peter, he goes, feed my sheep. Uh, and he, he, they have this discourse back and forth. And he basically says, go out and do something for the sake of my people. Connect with them. And what we read in this particular passage, I like to think about it as the original outline for maturing and making disciples. 3,000 people one day, they'd all come in from other communities. And the way it reads implies that they must have stayed there for some extended amount of time. That would make sense, wouldn't it? If you start this brand new life where Jesus is Lord, you just don't go home and do what you used to do. You figure out what to do. And it says they devoted themselves. When I was a young Christian, I heard it spoken publicly. Frankly, I've never found it in the Greek. But it was said that that means they were addicted to these things. They couldn't do without them. My Greek dictionary says that the word means to they steadfastly continued. Splitting hairs, maybe, but they continued steadfast. In other words, they didn't give up, they didn't walk away, they didn't drift. They were steadfast, and they continued in the teachings and the fellowship. Uh, the fellowship is what I want to talk about. The word means sharing what is in common. It means communicating. It doesn't mean associating. It means connecting with one another. It's to connect in a significant way. The way I like to define it is fellowship is two, fel two fellows in the same ship. Now, that almost begs cooperation, doesn't it? <laughs> and communication. 
Now, you guys have heard I like to go canoeing, so I'm going to go canoeing in a couple weeks, uh, a couple different times in April. And what I've found is you have two fellows in the same ship. They have to be able to cooperate and communicate. I need the person in front of me to tell me where the rocks are at so we can move around them. I need the person in front of me to be agreed with me on when I say make a stroke this way, that's how we'll avoid that rock. And at that point, there's no time to discuss the size of the rock or how, what the features are, or the benefits of going this particular direction. It's time to move. Two fellows cooperating in a ship to keep from hitting the rocks. That's fellowship. That's what they devoted themselves to, was this connection with one another because of what they had in common, which was lordship and saviorship of Jesus, to be able to stay on the course. That's what God has called us to. They devoted themselves to it. Relevant relationships. I googled irrelevant just to see the contrast, and uh, Google says that irrelevant means not connected. Relevant, just like it talks about in the scriptures, means to be connected. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 11. This is sort of the lead-in. Paul, as he writes this letter, he has a lot of... Uh, doctrinal type things that he goes through. But after he's done some of this, he talks about salvation, it's like he just sort of begins to be overwhelmed and he breaks into this praise of how great God is. And it says in verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Therefore, in other words, because God is in control and God is so amazing, I urge you, some translations say, I beg you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourselves or offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Some translations say this is your true and reasonable service. And he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of the, your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I bet in the time I've been a Christian, I've read this over a hundred times. Some of you are going, this is so familiar, you probably just kind of went past it immediately. But I want us to look at it. He goes, because God is so amazing, it just makes sense. It's a reasonable thing to do to offer yourself back to him. And he says that we're to offer ourselves and that we're to not conform to the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Now, I used to think, okay, that's a solitary thing. I just need to go have really good quiet time so that I can have my mind, that I can be transformed by renewing my mind. But when you read on into the text, that's not really what he's saying. He's talking about that transformation is going to come through our relationships. Now, certainly being devoted to the apostles' teaching is where they started. And it's still where they're at by the time Romans is written. But at this particular point, he's beginning to say, look, 
This new life where Jesus is your Lord and your Christ is going to change who you are. Not once. You know, being baptized is the beginning. It's not the end. It's the starting point. And what he says is as you go along this road, you should be in the process of progress, becoming different than who you are. No matter how good you are as a Christian right now, you ought to be gooder later. (laughs) Better later. That That we're being transformed or made different. The word for being transformed is the same word that we might get the word metamorphosis from or changing from one thing to another. It means literally to change into another form. It means complete change shown in character and conduct. It is the present continuous tense of the word, uh, which indicates that it's a process. It's not a one-time accomplishment, but it starts and it continues and it grows to become more than what it used to be. I like to simply say that the Christian life is a process of progress. I want you to look at your life. Hopefully, you're saying, amen, I get it, I'm doing it. But if you're like a lot of us, we we can say that, and then we kind of drift from it. We just kind of hold on. Uh, In psychology, they have a word for that. It's called rigidity. When you get older, you tend to just get rigid, not in your joints, but in your thinking, and that's just the way I am. You just need to accept me the way I am. That's true. But we also need to have the attitude of, but that's who I am right now. It's not who I'm going to stay. Because it commands here to be transformed, to be made different, to be in the process of progress. Relevant relationships are one of God's ways that he provides and that he expects for us to be transformed. In verse 9, it goes on and it says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted. Continue steadfastly to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. I talked to Vince Hawkins, I gather he was down here a few weeks ago, and as I talked to him and said, do you have any ideas for what to talk about? He goes, well, last couple of weeks we've been talking a lot about hospitality, so why don't you follow up and talk about hospitality? Okay, there it is. I just talked about it. Let's keep moving. I'll come back to it, but it says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. In this particular text, he started it by saying, don't be like the world, be like Jesus. Be in this process of progress to become more and more like him. And then he, trans- he moves it in to this thing about being connected to each other. It's part of that transformation. And he gives several directives. He says, be devoted to each other. I want you to ask, are you friends or are you devoted? And don't condemn yourself if you're saying, well, I'm just friends right now. I want you to just take a picture of what God is calling us to. It's so much deeper and it's so much richer than just being church members. He says, be devoted to each other. He says, honor one another. Share with one another. Practice hospitality. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. 
for any of these to be possible, we've got to be more than just casual, connected people. I can't rejoice with you if I don't know what's going on with you. You can't mourn with me if you don't know what's going on with me. In this particular passage, we can't honor people if we don't know what's honorable going on in their lives. We can't rejoice. The whole thing that he's building this whole idea on is relationships. And not just relationships, but relevant relationships. And this is where there's a real difference, right? We all have relationships. You guys probably all know each other by first and last name. Maybe you know how many kids and what their kids' names are and all that kind of stuff. But taking it deeper to where there's a life-changing effect on each other's lives. So the question is, do you have relationships that they speak into who you are and how you are? And do you have relationships that you speak into other people's lives? into who they are and how they are, not as a judge, but as a friend and a coach and a confidant and a person that's connected on a deeper level. Without that, we're just going to be doing church. This was part of what was set up at the very beginning, is that when those 3,000 people became Christians, they needed support. And that wasn't you know, just for a month. That was the pattern that was established from that day on. You read through all the letters, and Paul writes many of them, starting out with, of course, praise God. But then he talks about his relationship and his connection with them. And then he gives direction on how for them to have connection and relationship that's relevant with each other. So if you haven't got my main point yet, you know, if I just skip the rest of it, my point is don't settle for casual. If you've gone deeper, then awesome. Rub it off on other people. But the command that I would, I would put before you is that God has this amazing plan to help you be in the process of progress, to be transformed into more than who you are from the inside out. And part of that plan is, believe it or not, <laughs> he gives us each other. I suppose he could have done it some other way. When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask him about that because this doesn't seem highly efficient. But he chose to have us be in relationship with each other to help us become more than who we are. I also want to say, and this is in light of some of the things that you're facing right now in the church, I've talked to different people, and you know, you're without a lead couple that's you know, pointing the ship in a particular direction with plans on how to accomplish that. One of the per- people I talked to, I said, well, just do what you know to do. And I went on and I said, don't wait for a program, don't wait for all the structure, you just do what you need, what you know you need to do. Show initiative, don't wait to be told, frankly, you know, when I do something, I'd rather have it be my idea than somebody else's idea. I just seem to get my heart into it more. But, uh, you know, we need to get our heart into whatever direction that you guys receive with your new leaders. But do what you already know to do. And how many of you don't know what I've been talking about this morning? I mean, relevant relationships, you learned that from the very beginning. Whatever it is that inhibits you from having that relevance in other people's lives or letting them be relevant in your lives... I would suggest you uh, identify what those things are, uh, even this afternoon. Let's don't take a week, because in a week you'll forget. And try to think, what gets in the way of me being more than casual? Relevant relationships accomplish more than structure or programs will ever accomplish. What's interesting to me 
is there's very little structure that I can find in the New Testament about how to worship, about how to do programs in the community. It, it just doesn't tell us how to do all that stuff. But there's a lot of direction on how to have relationships. When we have the relationships, we're going to be in fellowship. We're going to be on the same ship, going in the same direction, cooperating with each other to stay off the rocks. And when we do that, we're going to be able to accomplish a whole lot more than if we're just Christians at large. Relevant relationships accomplish more than structure and programs. I'm not going to go through it in detail, but if you were to read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 14, it, he talks about uh, working with our leaders and respecting those who work hard among you. And then he goes on and he says, warn the idle or insubordinate. He says, encourage the timid, help the weak, and be patient with everyone. That was written not to the church leaders, not to the opinion leaders. That was written to all of us in this room, is that that's what God wants us to do. It's to be involved, engaged, connected, relevant in each other's lives. Now, can you warn an idle person if you don't really know what's going on in that person's life? Can you warn an idle person and have them take it well <laughs> if you don't have a loving relationship with them? Love must be sincere. Can you encourage a timid person if you don't know what they need to be encouraged about? Same thing with help, and certainly all of us need to be patient with one another. But you can go through that, and you can begin to have right there an outline of what God has called you to do, and what God has called you to be open to have done to you. That it's not just a receiving, and it's not just a giving thing, but it's a mutual thing of relevant relationships. Let me give you just a, a couple of examples. Um, in all fairness, uh, I'm retired, so I have more time on my hands than a lot of people. But some of the relationships I have in the church in Lawrence, I have an ongoing, specifically every other week, discipling time with Willie and Katie O'Quinn, who lead the church. And what do they need? I mean, I think ahead of time, how can I encourage them? They have so much stuff going on. They're pulled at. They're asked to interview other places. What can I just help do to help them be the best people they can be? They will come to me and ask for some guidance on uh, choices that need to be made, some structural things that need to be made. But we have a relevant relationship. I get together every week on Tuesday mornings at 8.30 with uh, Steve Major and Shado Quinn. Now, Steve is still working a full-time job. And we get together and have coffee, and we talk about whatever we need to talk about. Now, at our age, we tend to talk about health problems, but we move beyond that. <laughs> we do a lot of diagnosing of one another and helping with that. But what, what is so great about it is, is because Jesus is Lord of my life and Steve's life and Shade's life, is that a lot of our conversation will come around to how can we help other people and how can we help each other to really have lordship be reality. And we can talk, we can be open, we can be open about our concerns, our personal struggles, about our marriages, about what we're learning, uh, about uh, difficult circumstances that we're dealing with, even in, even in the church, can you believe that, in relationships. Uh, but I, I cherish those times together, and we get together almost every single week that all of us are in town. Um, I have a relationship with... Um, those two guys plus Willie, we get together every other week and we just talk about whatever we need to and we get open and we talk about the things that we need some guidance and direction on. 
I get together with other people that I mentor, Greg Hutchinson or Hutch that I was talking about a few minutes ago. He insists on having time together every Thursday at 9 o'clock. And you can tell there's a little bit of edge to it if something comes up that I can't be there. It's just that important to him. And he comes literally with a, um, uh, what do you call it, those paper-bound notebooks. Uh, Well, anyway, he comes with a notebook every week, and he has a list of questions that he wants to go through with me. And he's just wanting to learn. He's wanting to learn how to work with people. Uh, But... As I've seen that unfold, I thought, this is so amazing. This guy shows initiative. And then I begin to think, but he doesn't show a lot of relationship. So as he comes as a student, I'm trying to also teach relationship is important because it will always trump structure. We need to speak into each other's lives. Um, I would consider Hutch a dear friend, a dear brother, devoted to the Lord, but I would consider myself, and he does too, that it's not just buddies hanging out. He views me as his mentor, his quote as we used to say, his discipler. I get together with John Immel, who's probably around 35, and then I get together with my son-in-law, Nate Snell, who's about 31 or 32, and I have almost nothing in common with these guys. Different place in life, they're the age of my children, uh, they're just going through a lot of different stuff. But it's a commitment that we make, and we don't always hit it, but to get together every other week and talk about who we are and how we are. And last time we got together and had uh, structured time, I, I stepped out on a limb. I felt really uncomfortable with it, but I said, I want you to come next time with what you want to get out of these times together. Rather than just sort of making it up as we go, I wanted to see what do they want so we can focus in on that so that I'm not presumptuous or anything else. But it's intentional. It's relevant. Um, J.T. Sullivan. Uh, J.T.'s a, a guy that he and I are just so different. I'm Mr. Serious. He's Mr. Sarcastic. But J.T. has, has made a, uh, an effort to get together with me about once a month to get coffee. And it had been a while, and I thought, you know what? I've gotten where I enjoy JT, even though we're quite different. I need to initiate with him. And it was so interesting, because this last week when we got together, I shared with him some things going on, and we're sitting in the front seat of my car. And he goes, Ken, I think you're too hard on yourself. And then he gave me some advice on how to manage a particular situation. I thought, this is awesome. You know, we can all speak into one another's lives. And I came away from that. I told Esther, I said, you know, that was so good for me to get together with him. I need to make sure that happens because I need it. Apparently, he needs it. I have casual relationships with people that we may not go very deep, but we're brothers, we're friends, we're confidants, we're on the same team. We'll look out for each other, I guess you'd say, as needed. Recently, In two of my relationships, at least for me, they were very complicated. They were relevant relationships, but there was tension, misunderstanding, from that accusation, hurts, anger, and just this differentness that just oozed out of the conflict that we were having. Me being a conflict avoider by nature, of course, I just wanted to go live on a mountain by myself and just, I've done enough of this, I've, I've done my dues, I'm going to go do something else. That's kind of what went through my mind. But I got together with Steve and Shade and Willie and 
Uh, I tried to be patient. They were all sharing things. And toward the end, I said, listen, guys, I got something I got to get open about. And I shared with them, which I'm not going to do that with you, but I shared with them some of the details and the reactions that I was having and how agitated I was and how I wasn't able to sleep at night after this, I'll call it a confrontation, uh, some conflict that I had with another brother. And everything in me wanted them to just support me and agree with me. You know, you know how you feel that way. Now, what was so great about it was they gave me that, and then they gave me some insight. And I was able to walk away with a different perspective. And part of what my perspective was, rather than, oh, no, I need to stay away and avoid that because it makes me so stinking uncomfortable, is I need to embrace this and view it really as an opportunity. Opportunity first for me to overcome how agitated I get when I feel like there's conflict. Sometimes I'll literally shake. I didn't that day, but uh, my voice will crack and all kinds of stuff. And I just hate it because it makes me feel so weak. And I can't think straight. The adrenaline begins to take over and shuts down my prefrontal cortex. Uh, but I, had to t- I got from them, go reenter it. Don't address everything was one of the specific pieces of advice. Just address one thing. Keep it simple. Don't fix everything. Just get back in there. But it was so good to have fellowship, to have relevant relationships, transforming relationships. I wish I could stand before you and say, I am entirely, completely different in that weakness in my life. That may be a struggle the rest of my life, but I'm going to struggle through it. And it's good to have friends that will struggle with me, to be in the same ship with me. Um, I got the support. I got the agreement. Uh, I also got better perspective, I got guidance, I got my faith built, I got all kinds of stuff, and it only took about 15 minutes <laughs> to get it. Now I need to, to exercise it. I was fortunate enough to have a relevant, several relationships. Relevant relationships work. Unconnected relationships can slowly destroy a church. Now I want to address this in light of what you guys have been going through. Uh, what I've done up to this point has been mostly, let me see if I can say some things to build your faith or to be practical. I think I did one on being a holy nation. I don't know what you did with that, but I thought it was great. At least my study of it was. <laughs> but I know that you've been through a lot. And I think that this idea of relevant relationships, of overcoming sort of the factions, the parties, the tendencies to separate, is something you have to address. Not collectively, but privately, personally. That you're going to cross the line. I'll touch that more in a minute. But as you search for, as you search for new staff, this is not a time for you to watch and wait. So you're going. I hope you're going. So what time is it? <laughs> it's time to have relevant relationships. It's a time to make your relationships more relevant than they ever have been and to develop new relationships with people that you're less likely to, to cross the line. You know, I um, received a, I'm not going to say who, but I received a voicemail from one of the brothers here, and I listened to it, oh, every several weeks, and every time I listened to it, I just grinned, because he, he goes into detail telling the story about having a conversation with another brother in this conversation congregation, that he was inhibited about doing it and apprehensive about it because he wasn't sure how it was going to go. 
And he called me afterwards and he goes, Ken, I can't believe it. It went better than I could have ever imagined. And things are so much better. And there was this reconnection that took place, not by corporate action, not by structure, but by an individual saying, I'm going to be a Christian. I'm going to practice biblical fellowship so we can get back in the same boat together. That's what the church needs. Now, I've heard that people are pulling together. I've also gathered that people that aren't alike or that haven't seen some of the things that led to where you're at right now the same way tend to sort of stay away from one another. Now, hopefully I got it wrong, but that's what I got. But relevant relationships that have a purpose behind them can overcome that kind of stuff. It comes back to, will Jesus be Lord or will our feelings be Lord? Relevant relationships where we say what we need to and we say it in the right way. Here are the prerequisites, and I'll wrap it up. To have relevant relationships, you have to have a devotion to obeying God on this topic. It's not a suggestion. It's not just a good idea. It's not just for the oldest and most mature people in the church. It's for the JTs talking into my life. It's for my son-in-law, John Immel, be, being involved with me and us bridging that gift, gap of generations and differences. It's that commitment to, because God said so, I will. I'll be honest with you. Some of these, these uh, commitments that I've made, it is so much easier to take a nap or to watch football or basketball. <laughs> It just is, because in some situations, I don't mean any disrespect toward any of these people, we're just at different places in life, but it can be a little bit draining. But when I signed up to follow Jesus, I didn't say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you as long as it's not draining or uncomfortable or outside of my natural zone. I'm going to follow you. And that goes back to what would Jesus do? Prerequisite number one is devotion to obeying God. Number two is developing a genuine interest in other people. Number three is an investment of time. Let's get practical. You can have the best heart in the world, but if you don't take the time, it's not going to happen. And if you're like me, if you don't schedule it, it won't happen. It's just good intentions. To be able to schedule something when your schedule is already full means you have to identify what you're going to say no to so that you can say yes to what Jesus says yes to. That means there are things I'm not going to do or that are going to take longer to get done for me to be able to make sure I devote myself to the fellowship to be able to have time and relationship that's relevant with people. It's, uh, it requires being willing to embrace mistakes. If we get involved in each other's lives on more than a superficial level, we're going to make mistakes. The conflict I had, brother was addressing some things he felt like needed to be done different in my leadership. Later he came away from it and said, why does everybody have to do things his way? But it, it took some tension to get through that. But I, being the conflict avoider, can't I just go live on a mountain by myself and rent canoes to people? That, that was literally what went through my mind. And then from the council, the fellowship with the other brothers, I thought, good night, stop being a baby. I just need to get back in and recommit and be involved. And you know what? He's fine with me now. I'm fine with him now. It was a growth opportunity for both of us. But I had to decide I'm going to embrace mistakes because I need people to embrace me 
in the mistakes I make. Another prerequisite is humility. You know, when you say the Bible with people, you probably all use a passage in 2 Timothy 3 that says, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You know, that's a great text. The Bible's written to teach, rebuke, correct, and train. Okay, what does it take to be teachable, rebukable, correctable, and trainable? Starting with herself. It takes humility. I can go into all kinds of stories about it. Anyway, but anyway, it, take, it takes that willingness to listen carefully and take in the truth, even if it's not very comfortable truth. I'm going to close with this. Practicals are pray a lot for personal transformation. I believe that will lead you to think about, I need relationships that are relevant. From that, invite other people into your life. And when you do that, don't sit and wait to see what's going to happen, but inquire be curious. Be personal. Disclose things about yourself. With the brother I had the conflict with this last time we got together, somehow we got into talking about when my dad died and some of the most significant snapshot conversations I had with people. And most of you know I have a really terrible memory, but those really stand out. And that was beginning to go the direction of relationship instead of how do you talk to somebody about their personal finances. And as we talked... Here's this person that I've had trouble feeling like I'm very safe around him. I get teared up just talking about something that happened 16 years ago. But it's disclosure. It's vulnerability. It's not waiting for the other person, but it's creating a safe environment. Because if you choose to be vulnerable that other person is more likely to do the same thing. Now, if they take advantage of your vulnerability, then you've got a golden opportunity for discipling. The last one I'm going to mention is what I've touched on earlier, and that's simply cross the line. A practical for relevant relationships in this congregation is to seek connection with brothers and sisters that you don't have a lot in common with. I'll just put it out there people that have seen the previous conflict differently. Because it's amazing when you listen, you can go, oh, I didn't know that. Now, the challenge is not to let a person talk and then say, yeah, but. Because <laughs> I have a hard time with that one, especially if I know they're wrong. You know? But it's to talk into each other's lives. To, uh, a better goal than to fix each other is to understand each other first. When understanding comes, openness to input comes after that. Relevant relationships work. Final thought. I'm just going to read it so I don't blow it. I know that you're in the process of finding a new couple uh, to lead your congregation. I'm confident uh, that you would prefer to hire a couple who want to be here more than someone who wants a job. You with me? Well, let me be frank. Part of finding that couple is to be a family that is appealing to be a part of. And you guys are great people. But my challenge is to take it deeper. If you guys commit yourselves to individually, not collectively and not even by structure, not by assignment, uh, 
if I have time, I'll tell a story on that one too. But, um, but individually, you recommit yourself to relevant relationships. People are going to walk in here, and when they interview and when they preach, they're going to go, I want to be a part of this. So, huh, this group needs a lot of work. <laughs> and hopefully they never think that. But you can, you can draw people based upon what you decide to obey. And I'll close with this one last uh, story. Someone moved in about our age. We're talking about how to structure and move the church and how to be in relationships so that nobody is left out. And the sister spoke up and she goes, I don't want to sign relationships. I just want to have, be friends with people. And we're kind of going, okay, and need to give her some space, but we still need to have structure. <coughs> That's where my mind and my wife's mind goes. Without structure, things fall apart. But you know, it's been so interesting in her case. She understands relevant relationships. And she has gone around uh, to all, to, not all, but she's gone around to people that are, are less connected in the church. She's driven 45 minutes to spend time with one of the sisters. She goes and serves people. She just knows to initiate doing what she knows to do without having somebody tell her to do it. Now, would it be easier for me to know, <laughs> you know who she's focusing on? Sure. But I think she's, she's tapped into something that's much more powerful, and that's wanting to obey God on God's terms instead of our terms. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you haven't left us here to try to figure everything out for ourselves. We also thank you that you haven't given us so much structure that we're stifled or that our, our direction uh, uh, just becomes our cake, but that you've given us uh, freedom, flexibility, but you've also given us guidance and expectations for what you want us to be. Thank you that you've given us uh, relationships that can be relevant, uh, that can help us be transformed people. God, thank you for all of those things. And I just pray, starting with me, but moving with everyone in this room, that you'd really stir in us a heart that craves to be connected. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.